the preached word of God facilitates the lived worship of God. In the Bible, worship refers to both a general way of life or spirituality and a specific activity. As a specific activity, worship is the cognitive and effective enjoyment of something that's worthy, that overflows in joyous praise of it to the point of adoration and action. The cognitive and effective enjoyment of something worthy that overflows in joyous praise of it to the point of adoration and action. You see how this cognitive, effective and active elements of worship relate to the head, heart, hands model of spirituality that we've been using in this course. Think of the way in which Jesus taught that virtuous spirituality involves loving God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Now, of course, salvation is by relational faith, that is, trust and allegiance, not by works that earn salvation. But it's a salvation by a faith that leads to discipleship. As Jesus says in Matthew 11:29, "Place my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls." Now, apologetics is about helping people to be persuaded that Christian, Christ-centred spirituality is a beautiful, good and reasonable life commitment. To recontextualise an image from the pagan philosopher Socrates, the Christian apologist is a spiritual midwife helping people deliver as strong and healthy a spiritual response to Jesus as they can muster. Put slightly more formally, Christian apologetics is the art and science of persuasively advocating Christian spirituality through the responsible use of rhetoric as objectively beautiful, good and reasonable stroke true. Now, we sometimes mistakenly restrict the specific activity of Christian worship and praise, which involves ascribing to God the honour and adoration due to him, to the even more specific activity of singing hymns and worship songs. We forget that in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God is the reasonable way for you to worship, as Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1. And so we have 
the three elements of spirituality head heart hands or uh, assumptions attitudes and actions which relate to the spiritual capacities of reason imagination and conscience these are communicated by the three elements of classical rhetoric of logos pathos and ethos are judged and fulfilled by the three traditional transcendental values of truth beauty and goodness and they grow from and to the virtues of faith hope and love christian discipleship means systematically orientating our spiritual capacities towards the spiritual virtues through a Christ-centered spirituality so that we grow in Christ-like faith, hope and love. And this means engaging in Christian community, study, worship, creativity, hospitality and so on. The point of a church service is to worship God together in the specific sense in such a way that we're helped to worship God in the general sense. It's analogous to attending a gym class. In 1 Corinthians 14.26, Paul advises, Let all things be done for edification. Edification is the moral or intellectual instruction or improvement of someone. Uh, now, the Greek term that Paul uses here is oikodome, that is literally a building serving as a home, or figuratively, constructive criticism and instruction that builds a person up. To be the suitable dwelling place of God, i.e. somewhere where the Lord is at home. The liturgy of a worship service is a structured sequence of rituals that enable the community to corporately acknowledge and appreciate God and to express and mould their faith in God with their heads and hearts and hands. Liturgy, including the sermon, is a communal spiritual discipline. As part of the liturgy of worship in the specific sense, scripture should be preached in such a way that people are helped to see that being a disciple of Christ means participating in a credible and desirable way of life. So they are encouraged to go in peace to love and to serve the Lord in the name of Christ. Now, scientific literacy can help the preacher communicate the credibility and desirability of Christian faith. In Richard Dawkins' book, Outgrowing God, he asserts that King David made no impact either on archaeology 
or on written history outside the Bible? Well, here is a response to Dawkins from archaeology. Dawkins obviously doesn't know about the publication of fragments from an old Aramaic stela from Tel Dan in 1993 and 1995 that brought to light the first recognised non-biblical mention of the 10th century King David. In a text that reflects events from the year 841 BC and would have been set up at no great interval after that date. This stela famously mentions the House of David. Eric Klein, a professor of classics, anthropology and history at George Washington University, notes that the finding of this inscription brought an end to the debate and settled the question of whether David was an actual historical person. Dan Brown's thriller The Da Vinci Code popularised the notion that Jesus was viewed by his followers as a mortal prophet, a great and powerful man, but a man nonetheless, and not the Son of God. That Jesus' establishment as the Son of God was something officially proposed and voted on by the Church Council of Nicaea, which took place in 325 AD. Again, we can turn to the science of archaeology to answer this popular but false notion. This is a top-down picture of some mosaics from a Christian prayer hall discovered in 2005 near Megiddo. This floor dates from around about 230 AD. Let me draw your attention particularly to this inscription in the mosaic which reads the God-loving Akeptus has offered the table to God Jesus Christ as a memorial. We can see the plinth in the middle of the floor here for the table, uh, presumably the table that was used for celebrating communion. And the God-loving Akeptus has memorialised the fact that they have offered or paid for the table and it's dedicated to God Jesus Christ as a memorial. And this about a hundred years before the Council of Nicaea. This is the famous Alaxaminos graffito, some wall graffiti scratched into plaster near the Palatine Hill in Rome, which has been dated to around about AD 200. We have the donkey-headed figure of a man on a cross, and looking up at that donkey-headed man on a cross is another man with his arm raised up, and scratched into the plasterwork is the legend Alaxaminos worships his god. Now, who that we know in history that was crucified might be worshipped by someone as a god. Uh, this is graffiti making fun of Christian worship 
of Jesus as a God, showing how socially unacceptable such an idea was. Now, as historian Tom Holland mentions to Greek scholars, the question of what might be found within the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem Jewish temple was a tantalising one. Of course, non-Jews were not allowed inside. Holland notes that Poseidonus, never knowingly without a theory, claimed that it contained a golden ass's head. Others believed that it held the stone image of a man with a long beard sitting on a donkey. Of course, Greek temples would have images of gods within them, and the Jewish temple, Holy of Holies, had no image. It was, in that sense, empty. Returning to the Alexaminos Graffito, we see that the use of the donkey imagery suggests that the god being worshipped by Alexaminos around about 200 AD is supposed to be the Jewish god. Writing in the 18th century, in his An Address to Clergy, John Wesley wrote, Should not a minister be acquainted to with at least the general grounds of natural philosophy, that is, science? Is not this a great help to the accurate understanding of several passages of Scripture? Assisted by this, he may himself comprehend, and on proper occasions explain to others, how, quote, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Till they cry out, quote, O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom thou hast made them all. So we see that the liturgical function of the sermon is thoroughly apologetic. It is to communicate what scripture says about truth, goodness and beauty, using good rhetoric to encourage discipleship to Jesus. The aim of preaching is a holistic spiritual formation that initiates, maintains, or develops a Christ-centred spirituality. That is, the preached word of God facilitates the lived worship of God, and science can help 